Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Yak Gadgets. For all your fine quality kayak fishing experience. Go to yakgadget.com. Pelican cases, cooler, and lighter. Go to pelican.com. And the 153 Bait Company. Draw your heart with soft bait needs. Go to the 153angler.com. Now let's join our special guests around the campfire. Welcome back, everyone. Another episode of Feather and Fur. Brad Hurlbus here. And tonight we have on... Johnny Bot with the Feather Therapy um, little show they've got going on. So we'll bring him on and he can explain everything, what Feather Therapy is and how that came to be. And just chasing birds, with, just chasing birds in the upland. It's going to be a good show. Welcome. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. I'd love yeah, to have a talk with you. My wife would love to join us, but she's feeling a little under the weather. So it'll just be me this time. So it's always a shame to feel a little. No. This, this episode is going to air second week of January, I think it is. So, but it is Christmas time right now, so it's always a shame to be under the weather during the holidays. I mean, not only can holidays be stressful with either travel or people coming and cooking and everything else, but then to feel under the weather at the same time, uh, I, I feel I feel for her, man. I feel for her. Yep, yep. So it's just a lot of high dosing on uh, vitamin C and just lots of rest. Hopefully we'll get her back feeling better before christmas so but yep absolutely got a few days there i mean you're cutting it close it's almost like shopping at this point right right exactly <laughs> at least at least this one we get to stay home and hopefully not deal with any crazies this is true this is true and where, where is home where, where are you guys based out of well we're based out of utah um my family's right. born and raised here in utah so very nice very nice and then We'll just we'll just start it off how I always started off because I just like to hear about it. How'd you get into hunting? Was it your dad, your grandpa? Was it something you took on like later on in life? Like what what started 
that fire in you now to chase chase that in the field yeah it was definitely my dad my dad <clears throat> when he was when i was a little boy he would he he would go hunting all the time um we own a family business and we do headstones and um <clears throat> what he would like to do because it was a family business you kind of have your own time and one of the many joys he told he used to tell me was he would uh he would go hunting after he did some work in a cemetery so he'd work like the morning of of the work day and then he'd take the afternoon off and go chase some ducks or something so growing up with that and him being a hunter and having quite a few hunting buddies we'd go out and he really got me into it ducks pheasants stuff like that so it definitely came from my dad well, that's awesome. So you spent some time, so ducks, pheasants. So, I mean, definitely a bird hunting household then growing up. Yep. Yep. We do a lot of bird hunting um, and we do do uh, deer as well. That's one of our highlights. One of the things we enjoy doing as well. So, but definitely bird white, hunting. So. Sure. So whitetail deer, mule, mule deer, What what's Utah got to offer them? Utah's got mule deer, big old, All right. big old mule deer. Well, not there's not many big ones around where we go hunting much anymore, but you can find a few, but mainly mule deer. All right. All right. And then does Utah have elk as well? Is there elk in Utah? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I haven't ever gone. I, we, me and my dad and our work, we once tried for some cow tags and just had no success. So there hasn't been a big draw to go back and try and chase the ones with the antlers because they're even harder than trying to find some cows. Sure, sure, that makes sense. And you got to, and and that's the hardest part about fall is like every season clashes. Like it's this huge. Like you have to dedicate what you want. And me being a big bird hunter, I, like all of October spent in the Northwoods chasing grouse. I make a slight transition come November to ducks because that you get that cold weather push and there's a little weekend scent in there for some deer hunting for our opening weekend. But it's so hard. Like if you're a bow hunter, like, and, and a bird hunter, like you have to pick and choose what you want to do. So I completely yeah. understand why you're not firing up that elk camp and trying to figure out how to chase those things. Cause you got so much else going on already. Yeah, definitely. Like me and my wife, we didn't even go deer this year because we were focusing mainly on trying to, grow our channel and also trying to just catch more birds this year instead of worrying about chasing some deer but so sure and who doesn't like watching who doesn't like bird hunting i mean if you haven't done it yet that you're missing out because watching those dogs in the field that's just something special it really is and the joy and the the experience of being with people and walking those fields as well is definitely a highlight that me and my wife really enjoy doing so so I know you already mentioned pheasant. So I'm assuming you chase a lot of. Fe I'm a, is pheasant like the main focus for what you guys are chasing out there, or what? Or is there you have quail out in, out there as well at all? You gonna get any like a little bit of quail? Yeah, definitely. Um, we mainly chase pheasants and ducks. Those obviously are the big two that I think a lot of people mainly chase. You can throw grouse and chucker and stuff in there as well. But Utah, being in Utah, and also being um, where we are located we're in northern utah and so we get a lot of pheasants and chuckers around our area um but mainly i've always grown up chasing pheasants and i just have a huge drive for those long tails and and the area around us there just aren't a lot a lot of pheasants specifically wild pheasants with the big old tails and so that's over the years that's kind of what my drive has been to go where no 
everyone else is going and finding those big old roosters. So, sure, cutting off the beating path, and that's a, that's what you have to do when you're chasing birds on public land, right? You gotta you gotta go where other people aren't willing to go. You gotta put in that extra miles. You gotta get there from different means. I mean, some of the spots I woodcock hunt, and I use a kayak or a boat to get to, just because people yeah. aren't getting there, either getting to those spots at all, or they're absolutely not coming in from that direction. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's it's really hard where we're at right now as well, because there's actually quite a few public land managed by the state. And um, there actually really aren't any wild birds out there that we where we live. There's actually like one of the biggest bird refuge in the world. And that's actually where I go, because public land, if you want to go chase some pen rays, the state releases a ton of birds out on the public land, but there's, there's no, they're so over hunted and they have huge predator numbers that you just can't, you just don't go there because, well, at least I don't, because I don't like shooting pen birds unless it's on a farm specifically, but, but yeah. No, I I hear you right there. Cause that's Wisconsin. We no longer have wild. There's very, very small pockets in our state that still are actually holding a wild bird, wild pheasant population but most of the pheasant hunting here is pen raised birds and i just choose to go up north and hunt wild grouse and hit that woodcock rate migration hard when it passes through because i'd much rather chase those wild birds unless like you said agreed i i definitely utilize farms occasionally like taking out a new hunter because it's such a controlled environment i love using it for that um if i really want to make sure my dog like if we're working on something with a dog and I really want to get a ton of birds underneath her to try to make a correction on something habit that start a habit that's starting to form. I'll use a farm for that and just buy a bunch of birds because it's such a controlled environment. But yeah, I agree. Wild birds. It's just something different when you're chasing truly wild birds. Oh yeah. It's, it's amazing. And like we love going to the farm every once in a while. My wife got us a trip for my birthday it was right. It's coming up towards the season of pheasant in Utah. And so we took, we took uh, our wire hair and got her trained up too. I mean, it's just, you can't beat a good old pen raised when you want to train a dog on to point something steady, but then you go and chase those long tails and you might be still a mile behind it before that long tail busts and says, you know what, I'm done with you already. And you don't even right. have a on him. So. And then you're, so I already thought I knew this and I was pretty sure I did. Wired hair, of course. I mean, you just, uh, German, 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 yep, German, yep, all right. German wired haired pointing Griffon. Yep. All right. So it is a Griff. Yep. yep. All right. Mine was yep, just sitting good. right here next to me. So, cause I also, oh, I also have a Griff. So, yeah, they're great dogs. I love, I love them. I've always grown up with uh, short hairs. We have a, a wire hair and a short hair. Um, but I've always grown up with short hairs. And when I, uh, graduated high school and stuff, I wanted something that I could go out by myself duck hunting, or I could go out by myself pheasant hunting. And the wire hair just has so many versatile aspects of it that it drew me to it. And I don't think I will will buy anything besides a short hair or wire hair anymore. So. Sure. I mean, I love. I agree. I love the versatility of the wired hair. I did have a person on my sh- the last show that aired. He made a very, very good point of owning a flushing dog and a pointing dog for some unique situations. So there's a chance I might own something other than a Griff, maybe some sort of like American Water Spaniel or like Springer Spaniel or something and run in conjunction together. But yeah. I, I, 
I'm not sure I see not owning a Griff unless there's some really unique circumstances that happen in my life. Like they're just such a great dog. They're so personable and they're so they're such a such a pleasure to wash in the field. Actually, I mean because they hunt closer than some other breeds. So I mean you really get to watch them work. Oh yeah, definitely. And I actually listened to that podcast. He does have a really good point. I mean, when you're, <laughs> when you're down to the point where you're throwing sticks under a bush to get some birds to flush, I would rather have something smaller that would climb under that bush as well. So I, I mean, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with running pointing dogs with flushing dogs. I think if it works and that's what you're into and, and you've had great experience, then go for it. I think just in Utah where we go hunting and it's just birds and open plains, that pointing right. dog is amazing for us. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. And then what's the duck hunt? I mean, I've heard like Salt Lake can be phenomenal for duck hunting. Like I've like, I know, I feel like it's that little, like it's, I don't want to call it out there. I, I know it's been in magazines and it's been talked about because I think I read about it in a DU magazine. So it's out there, but what is the duck hunting like in Utah? Like, is it on like the outskirts of the flyway and you kind of get some trickle through it or do you actually get a good migration that comes through there? We get a good migration. We get a really good migration. Um, we're in the Pacific flyway and um, I, I I don't know. I So I know a lot of guys that kill ducks every weekend, piles and piles and piles. And I mean, me, me personally, me and my wife, we go out every once in a while um and i mean you you can almost guarantee coming home with one or two if you've got a good spot and have done your job finding a good spot to sit on um so i would say it's utah's a pretty a pretty decent place to go duck hunting i don't think you would find a lot of big guide services in utah because it's not to that kind of level of ducks but we definitely get a good migration that there's lots of hunters there's lots of places to go so you you can definitely find you can have success in Utah if you if you know where to go and you've you've done a little bit of research, find a good spot. So, and then out there, I mean, you got are you pintail heavy? You got a lot of pintails because I know like out on like the east, like on the far west coast, like California and Washington and stuff like that. Like pintails are really prevalent out there, far more than Wisconsin. We, yeah, I was just gonna say we we have. We have some that come through. We don't get a lot. I mean, the okay. limit on pintails in Utah is one. So, I so mean, that's the same. That's the same as here, then. Yeah. So, I mean, we get them to trickle through, but you, I don't see very many. Well, this year especially, there have been a crazy amount of widgeon. I can't believe how many widgeon have come through this year. So, but mainly widgeon and mallards, and you get you get obviously spoonbills and stuff like that. Just your regular sure. stuff. Sure. Sure. No, that makes sense. I just wasn't sure with, I wasn't sure where that change starts to go. Cause I, I lived in Cali for a little bit and I worked out there with one of the ducks unlimited chapters on a youth day or two. I think I did two of them and I was talking with the guys there and they're like, man, I'd love to come back to Wisconsin and shoot mallards. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean you guys don't have, he's like, we got nothing but pintails. I'm like, wait, what? You guys got nothing but pintails? Yeah. Like, I'll do a swap. I'll do a swap. I'll get you guys a bunch of green heads. You get me a exactly. bunch of long tails, man. Like, like so let's do this. Heck yeah, no, it's it's crazy. It is crazy depending on where you are and and where you hunt. How how different it is, and it's just those different birds choose different ways to go. Right. Right. So I wasn't. I wasn't sure where Utah fell in that mix because you're moving farther west. I wasn't sure where that transitions. And 
What about, I mean, do you have a lot of geese that come through? We have a fair amount. It's kind of the same, same when I was talking about the ducks, it's just there, there is a fair amount, but especially in Northern Utah, if you want to hunt geese on private land, you'll probably kill yourself about the time you try and get out to the spot where they're laying down. And if you try and contact land owners and stuff, most of them are pretty locked up here. So they're here. definitely come in big old flocks but when it comes down to chasing them and figuring out where they're going it, they're they're quite a task got it got it makes sense a little bit different i mean here we're so farmland i mean we got i mean we have no mountains we have no hills we have like tiny little rolling hills is what we have but i mean we're, yeah. we're a ton of we're a ton of cor- by me we're a ton of cornfields we're a ton of dairy farms and yeah, i mean we have right now we have thousands of Canada still here because we, because we're really warm. We don't have much for oh, ice, yeah. but I, the ice we had already all gone already and we're back to open water. So, I mean, we were stacked really full with Canada's actually, um, our season, our late season actually just opened today. So I'm hoping to get out maybe tomorrow morning on those and get into a field pond or two. Yeah. Well, there you go. And that's really cool. I mean, we have a lot of farmland around here too. It's just, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that the mountains here really affect it. It's just when it comes down to private property and landowners, most landowners that own those big old farms and those big old dairies, they they've got them signed off to hunters 20 years ago that still hunt it and their kids hunt it. And so it's got just, it. Got it. You got to know somebody to get on those. So. Sure. Nope. And you run into that here. I'm thankful that we actually have some public land around here that they actually plant corn on and then they cut it. Yeah. So we actually have some public land that we are able to chase geese on because everything around here has been harvested for about a month at least now. So, I mean, it does give us some opportunities on places to set up to field hunt geese. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. And I wish Utah could look into maybe some more of those programs where it makes it a little more suitable and a little more gives other people opportunities you know i think they right. could definitely do it but but obviously don't run the state and they do what they kind of want to so <laughs> they have a, they have a plan whether everyone understands the plan or not so i mean it's no different it's the same in wisconsin right I mean, oh yeah we've got oh, yeah. we've got I mean, there's plenty of things i can complain about with our dnr as well I'll be like what are you guys doing like that makes no yeah. sense yeah yeah and and the hard part is that you just have so many people to cater to especially being a state and trying to regulate i mean we'd all love it but in the end is it going to benefit the state and that's why they're in charge of it because if it was just a couple guys in the back room figuring out where we plant stuff where we hunt stuff everyone would probably be pissed off at each other (laughs) this is true this is true so how old's your griff uh she's uh three turning four in april so very nice very nice starting yeah, to get into those prime old. starting to get into those primate primaries like where i mean that's six that right around five or six is every every bird dog i've trained from a puppy i rescued my current one at six actually but the ones i've had from puppies i mean that's their golden i mean that's when it seems like everything really starts to click and they still have plenty of energy and their their hips aren't sore yet and they don't have bad joints and it's all clicked and like you really get to experience some amazing hunting. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's for me has always been the, the payoff for working so hard and training so hard and spending so much time with them is that 
first couple of years you go through kind of the you know the puppy stage where you deal with all the crap that they do to you and all the the push birds and all the the fun that you go within them and then it's like wow all of a sudden it's like you'll point every bird you won't push them you'll just let, you'll, you know it just i completely agree it those golden years are always great so we're really looking forward to next year as well because she did amazing this year it's great as you walk like that progression's awesome to watch too right especially because it sounds like you're training her yourself i mean that's, oh yeah that's what it sounds yeah. like so i mean as a trainer and i'm not a great trainer by any means i've trained both of my dogs but as it starts to click i mean there's some pride there because you know like this is from me and now I've always gotten help. I've either worked with different clubs like HRCs or NAFTA or something along those lines or people that I know are that are professional dog trainers that I'm friends with that I've worked with on the side, like not necessarily had them train my dogs, but work with them saying, Hey, this is what we're experiencing. How do I get through this? Come out for the day and I'll work with them type of deal. But it's always great when that starts to click and you're like, and the dog just starts to get it. And you're like, now 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 it's good like now yeah. now the frustration and and that that like rolls back the frustration which even makes things go faster like when you're not getting frustrated and the dog isn't getting that kind of energy off of you and then like it, it just seems like it just seems like a snowball effect as it starts to click like it really just starts to click yeah yeah no i completely agree because um we just got our uh a short hair as well and she's only only nine months and it's like it's night and day you look at the difference and we took them both out this year and and it's like okay we'll watch willow and hopefully coral will be off in the field figuring it out and you know we took her out a couple times by herself but it's like yeah we know which dog we're watching for the real point you know <laughs> the short hair will will point certain things or she's got her nose down a mouse hole or something and it's like yep yeah, we're watching the three-year-old wire hair because we know she's just she's just hitting some good stuff and so it was pretty crazy and and i feel the same way as well it's nice having what you were saying having buddies not necessarily train your dogs for you but give you those tips as well because we're part of navda here in utah and there's there's just so many people you go hey i i don't know what's going on with my dog and they're hand over fist trying to help Help you like yeah go do this or hey come borrow some birds or something like that so it a lot of that hard work pays off and it's nice having those buddies like you were saying as well i mean nav nav does such a great thing for a versatile dog and pointing dogs and your hunting retrieving clubs for your labs and your flushers and i mean not only is it a great resource because you have all these different people here training at different levels and there's almost always a chance whatever you're facing someone's already seen before and they've already worked through it so they can help you. But even once you get past like just the amazing resource it is, the friendships that come out of those clubs is amazing. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and it it, it grows the friendships big enough. I mean, we got our, our short hair from one of the buddies that helped me test Willow in the first place. Like three years ago, I was new to the whole dog training scene officially buying a puppy starting from a puppy and and building it up and it created this great friendship and i mean he's got we bought her from him and he's like we want we want her tested so make sure you know let us know how we can help you and i mean he's got he's got tons of pigeon and, and he's like bring your carrier come take some pigeons right out of the coop and go hunt and i mean you just how do you beat that especially with friendships like that Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know actually I had another guy on the show a while back and he hunts a GSP and a Griffin. He loves the combination. 
So I, yeah. I, I really think as that GSP, as your short hair, I'm assuming it's a German short hair printer when you're saying short hair. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I know there's other short hairs out there that people call short hairs, but that's pretty much it's yeah. pretty much a German short, right? So I didn't want yep. to assume, but I did. Anyways, um, <laughs> and he and he loves it too because his grip tends to range closer with the GSP out farther. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And they work great in conjunction with each other because if the GSP misses a bird, that his griff always plays cleanup. Yeah. But the griff will find birds. I mean, so they both are finding birds. Occasionally that GSP is out or working a different area where that griff is more, just a little more methodical. And he, he loves the combination. Yeah. No, it's awesome. And I think that's what's the benefit of maybe running two different kinds of dogs is because you do get benefits of both. Like obviously the German wire hair has those versatility skills that you want it's going to do both really well but on a hot day the short hair will outrun them any day because they just don't have all that weight and all that hair so i think that's really cool because i mean why not you know if it works it works and take the traits of both dogs and benefit from both of them absolutely and and even if like I've ran dogs. I normally run my dogs all summer long. I'm really good at watching for heat management, stuff like that, making sure they get enough water. It's something I don't, I train through the summer. So that way there, if we have hot days and falls, it's nothing out of the ordinary for us, but it's amazing how like this year at grouse camp, it was really, really hot for us. And even getting the dogs plenty of water, like they just couldn't keep their tongues in their mouth. And if their tongue isn't in their mouth and their mouth's wide open, their tongue's hanging out, they're not using their nose anymore because they can't because they're panting so hard. I mean, it's just amazing how that heat can affect a wired hair dog and all dogs in general, like on, on their scenting abilities. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was one thing me and my wife talked about quite a few times while we're out this year is just when to slow down and when to give the dogs a break because just, when they start running so hard and they're working so hard and that mouth comes out, you seem to miss a lot more birds. So yeah, absolutely. And it, it's crazy. And I didn't understand that until talking to NAVDA guys on one of the test days and it was a really hot test day and they're like, make sure you have your dog watered so much that like it's almost dripping water, not sweat before you take it out for your test because you want that dog's mouth closed. And I had no idea that's because it, the second that mouse opened, they're not using their nose as much anymore. And that's what you're wanting on this, especially a natural ability test. You want your dog using their nose as much as possible. Right. Absolutely. And especially, and it, 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 that goes the same for hunting, right? Hunting hot weather. I mean, you're yeah. not out. I mean, 
I love just watching my dog work the woods. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, we're both out there to find birds. Like that is the end of the yeah. day goal. I love watching her work and we don't need to shoot a bird to have an amazing day. But at the end of the day, I want to find birds. I mean, that's kind yeah. of why we're out there. She yeah. wants to find birds. I want her to find birds. And when she's out there panting so hard, she can't even use her nose anymore. I mean, it just makes it tough for everyone. It does. And especially if they're panting, I mean, under, under your vest and everything, your coat, you're freaking sweating as well. So it's just miserable for everyone. And you walk home without a bird. It, it does break your heart a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it, I, it's even worse though, when she does her job and I don't do mine. Cause then she, I, I, she, I mean, you got a griff, you know, that side eye, they're really good at giving you some amazing side eye where they're like, really? Oh, isn't it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I completely agree. It, because I've always grown up with short German short hairs my entire life. That's what my dad had. And they are a lot more, and I know every dog's different, but they seemed a little more passive aggressive and especially training <laughs> aggressive and, and everything. They have such an attitude. It's so amazing. And it, it, it's kind of funny because my mom has always told me how, how much of an attitude my dog matches me because we both are stubborn and hard to get past but but yeah no it's it's amazing yeah griffs are definitely unique in training um i love them they're, they're definitely a they're definitely a different type of breed to train because they're so smart and i i i feel like they come off stubborn a lot but i don't think they really are because I, I truly think most of them train more like a softer dog but they're so smart that it comes off as stubborn yeah no, I completely agree on your, the last podcast you did, you guys talked about how like forgiving labs are. Oh, and yeah. I, I was thinking about Willow and when I was training her and like, sometimes, you know, you, you know, you have the, the e-collar on them and you give them a little zap when they're not listening or they're not coming back. And sometimes even if you do zap them, they kind of like hold that grudge for the rest of the training session until you put them in the truck. And then they're like, okay, fine. I'll be okay now. But I really hated you there for a minute. Oh yeah. It's, it's definitely a unique breed to train. Um, I've talked to other guys about it too, that owner and we're, we're all pretty much on the same page that it's, it's an, it's a, it's a good, it's a very rewarding challenge, but you have to be ready as a trainer for that challenge. Oh, definitely. And that's what a lot of guys before I got a puppy was, you know, warning me and preparing me saying, you know, you've dealt with short hairs, but just get ready to be a little bit softer on your dog because there's a good chance they're going to have a little more attitude. So, yeah. And it's, and it's weird. I mean, that's like an oxymoron, right? Cause you're saying you have to be softer on a dog with more attitude, but that's because yeah. the Griff does like to hold a grudge and they really are. You really, I mean, it, it's really a cons truly consistency game with them is what it really is. I mean, it's just a really oh, yeah. soft hand, but an extremely consistent soft hand. It's, oh, it's a unique, yeah. it's unique. Yeah, no, I completely agree that some of the best days were when we didn't have as, you know, obviously training, it has its up and downs every day. Some days are just great because they are, and some days are just crap because, you know, maybe oh, yeah. just your ankle or something that morning, but <laughs> But just uh, it, it really is consistency. And I think that you could probably attach that to training any dog, obviously consistency. But, but 
wire hairs, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but I could, I didn't think of it that way until you just mentioned it, but I can totally see that just consistency in a soft hand. I would agree with you that your dog will do just fine as long as you've got the patience to outwit your dog's attitude. Right. Right. And that comes, and, and like you had mentioned, like with the labs, I don't want to go back down that road, but some dogs are just more forgiving than others. And I, I, there's been plenty of times my, I've been training with my Griff and I'm, and her and I have just had a bad training session and you always try to end it on good, right? You always try to end it on a high note, but she's at that point, she's just like, no, I'm done. I'm done with you. I want to go home like this, this, no, no. And I feel like that whole, whole entire night then, like, no matter like what I try to do, it's like, she's like, nah, I'm not, I'm not all about you right now. We'll, we'll yeah. start again in the morning. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So that does lead for some unique things for you. Like has training the Griff helped change like how you train your GSP now? Like, are you using some of those different techniques like with your GSP, like those like, softer techniques now, maybe a little bit less pressure than you, than you would have in the past? Yeah, definitely. It's a lot. It's a lot of fun actually, because one, it's a new puppy and we're training it. And two, I, I got married in June to my wife and she hadn't never trained a dog before. So I've actually given a lot of the reins to her. So one that, that my wife can also pick up a lot of the, the training aspect of it and also to, to teach the puppy and no, it definitely has. And I think a lot of conversations me and my wife have had about training our, our GSP have been just being consistent. And it's amazing because because of my work schedule, working my griff, it was like always super late at night and stuff. And my wife is so amazing at training our GSP because she comes home a little bit earlier than I do. And like one of the first things she loves and enjoys going and doing is heading out the door and just training, training our Cora is her name is going out and training Cora for an hour. And she just loves doing it. And then we we talk about it, talk about how it went, and then just talk about what we can do different. And so I think consistency definitely is the key and i think i wouldn't say we're not being too too hard-handed on her either but definitely i think because of learning it through the 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 wire hair learning the techniques and getting over that you don't have to have for me personally such a hard hand because you can understand the techniques of training better than it was learning it and trying to train a wire hair at the same time no, that makes, that makes sense. I mean, I've said this before and I still, I mean, I don't know if I'd recommend a Griff for a first dog for a first time trainer. I mean, they're just, just not, an, it's, they're an amazing dog and it could have, and as long, if you got enough help, if you work enough with that, you could do it. Like you're, you're going to succeed, yeah. right? As long yeah. as you reach out and get a good support network, but I still truly think like a GSP is because the, they kind of have that happy-go-lucky attitude, at least all the ones I've ever worked with and met and hunt over and help people train. They have this happy-go-lucky attitude where like 30 seconds later, they're kind of like, eh, whatever, let's go have fun. Kind of, exactly. they're, kind of, they're, they're like the lab, the, the like labs and GSP or like Pointer and like Flusher, like they have that same kind of like goofy personality, but they re they have that, it's not even a goofy personality. It's that they really want to please you personality. Yeah, no, absolutely. And 
Yeah, I would agree. And it's, it is kind of funny to watch the difference between the two um, because I can see that as well. Like she's just so goofy and she just wants to love you to death. And the wire hair, she loves you to death, but if she's just tired of you, she'll go lay on the bed and leave you alone. And where that, that GSP she'll run up and she'll lick you and she won't go to sleep when everybody else is trying to go to sleep. And, and when you're training and stuff, she can go for hours. As long as you give her a couple times with the ball to have fun, then she's like, okay, what are we learning next? Right. And, and that's, that's fun. I mean, those, that that's always fun. Like if you're prepared for that high energy, it's fun. Cause you can train hard. Like I wouldn't say you can train harder, but you can maybe have longer training sessions and get a, maybe a little more accomplished in a time. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, you definitely don't have to space it out as much. And I feel like, I feel like obviously most dogs can pick up stuff really well. Obviously that's why you're training and why training works so well is because most dogs can pick up stuff. But I think that because they do have that energy and they they kind of seem to pick up things a little bit better as well. Um, you know, maybe you're doing like two to three reps and both of them are bad. And then the, the, the third or fourth rep both go great. And it's like, well, why the heck did we mess up on the first three? Because now it's like almost you have it down perfect. So, yeah. And that, and just from training my wire hair, it just wasn't that way. The first two were bad. And so you moved on to something else and came back to it because you know, the third, fourth, fifth, were just going to be just as bad. Right. Right. You always have to have that backup plan. If you're working on this and it's just not going good that day, you got to go to something else and, and bring it back to a positive side. So it stays fun and it stays rewarding. And that reward is such a huge thing. At least that I found with a, with a griff and a wire I don't want to generalize all wired hairs, but, but with a yeah. griff, that reward of that training and making sure it's good. And if you're just not on fire, like if you're not hitting on cylinders, if you're not both on the same page for, for a certain task, I've just found it's much better to move to a different task, like you said, and be a positive, have a positive experience throughout of it, rather than trying to force what you're trying to make happen on that day. Yeah, no, definitely. I completely agree. So what kind of habitat are you hunting out by you? We're going to change gears completely because I've never been to, I've been to Utah once. Um, I know nothing about it. I do know, I, I mean, you have mountains on the one side, right? And then are you plains on the other? Yep. Yep. So it's, we're not in a valley where we are. Um, we're, we're in more of a plain. So you come off the mountain straight plains. Um, so we do a lot of hunting, obviously we have a mountain right there, so you can go chase chuckers whenever you want. You just walk up the mountain or you can go to the, to the farm side, the plain side, and you walk, you walk open fields with ponds. Um, a lot of the stuff we hunt for pheasant is actually a lot of marshy land. Um, cause that just seems to be where they are here. I don't know. I've heard lots of guys, you know, North and South Dakotas and stuff like that. They just have straight dry fields or like corn fields, no water except for the water in the ditch, you know, and here it seems like they love the water and almost walk on it. So we do a little bit of kind of all three, either you choose the mountain or you go play in the, in the plain that seems to have marsh a lot in it, especially around here. 
Interesting. And I've, I've heard of that around here though. I've heard about people like that's one of the areas where we still have wild pheasants. It's in our bigger marshes. So that doesn't necessarily surprise me, but you are right. That is completely different from what the guys are chasing in like the, the Dakotas or even like Nebraska. I mean, those are all wild. That's a lot more open fields, plain style stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no. And it's, it's kind of crazy. Cause I, when I was growing up, um, we would go watch just fields, open, open fields. There's a lot of public land that's just open, open plains, lots of sagebrush, stuff like that. And that's what I grew up learning. And what I have learned from, from a buddy and a couple guys from NAVDA is like, you know, everyone knows to go walk a fence instead of an open field because you'll seem to have more success because they like to fall those edges. Well, it seems around here, especially where we go hunting, it's the the edge between it's not just fence edges it's actually the edge between low grass and high tules that seem to be the edge that pheasants where we go hunting seem to gravitate to and it i had no idea that was a thing and i probably would have shot a lot more pheasants in my life when i was younger with my dad walking a field if i would have known that was how how they worked up where we go hunting so I mean, there is something to be said about cover, like um, transitional spaces of cover, because that even plays into grouse hunting. Like that's a big thing for grouse where you're looking for some older timber with some newer timber and you really focus on those transition lines. So that doesn't necessarily surprise me that those grouse or not um, that the pheasant by you gravitate to those transition lines, be it sometimes fence rows, but other times just this transition in cover type that where you find a lot of success. Yeah, definitely. And it, it is kind of fun when you have a little more people. Me and my wife really like to go out just by ourselves with our two dogs. But a lot of times we'll take family members with us and stuff. And it's really fun because we'll go walk those plains in front of the uh, the marsh areas and then do the loop around those edges. And it seems like every time it's we're pushing them out of those plains right to their favorite spot or those transition spots. And then we're popping them on the way back to the truck because they're all sitting on the Thule grass edge. So it it definitely where you live and what you do and you tend to notice these things. And so you, it's really fun because you can cater your hunts to to what you know about the birds in the area. And like like we volunteer for Delta Waterfowl up here as well. And it's fun going to meetings and I'm the, we're, we're the crazy ones that go and chase long tails all year long instead of <laughs> ducks, like all the buddies we go and talk to. And they're like, we just don't go anymore because we don't ever have success. And it's just like, well, guys, it's just because maybe you're just not walking the edges that, that they're hiding at. I've, I've watched um, guys walk an open field. I'll let me restart that. I've, I've pulled up to a field where I've watched guys go and walk it. There's like a group of 20 and they shoot you know maybe one or two birds or something like that and they'll come back to their trucks and then they'll call me crazy as i'm walking out after they already came and walked that field they're like we just walked it i'm like i know it's okay and then i'll go pop two roosters right on the fence post that they walked right by you know so i think it's fun to me and especially to my wife when we go and do these things because just based off of the years of, of doing it, knowing where these birds are 
and watching guys. And then, you know, they come and they, they're like, how the heck did you know there were two roosters? And it's just like, I don't, but that's, that's just where I've found them. They're not sitting in the open field. And technically you guys kind of did all the work for me. You pushed them to where they want to be anyways. (laughs) Right. You bumped all the birds. They flew, they went for their preferred cover area rather they went for their preferred cover for concealment and to hide in because they're not out in the fields feeding you guys left and i went and chased them where i knew they would be because you pushed them there yeah exactly and i think a lot of people get frustrated with pheasant hunting because they just don't understand that that pheasants aren't like a duck or something they're not just going to come to you you actually have to know where these pheasants are going you need to know what they like to do or else you're just not going to have the success. Obviously you can still be successful and stuff like that. If you just go walk an open field, most guys will tell you to learn how to pheasant hunt by walking an open field. But a lot of it comes down to just learning what the birds do. And that's experience, right? I mean, that's time spent in the field hunting your specific areas and your different types of covers, knowing when the pheasant sees this, like be it weather, be it habitat changes or hunting pressure, this is how they respond. And and you can, you can use that for any type of bird. I mean, grouse hunting by me, you put a lot of hunting pressure on them. It completely changes where you're going to be finding them, how you have to hunt them. You give them some really hot or really cold weather in a week, in a, not a, like in October, which is a, normally a milder month, right? If you give them like a, a weather extreme, this year was really hot. Last year was really cold. Both years completely different where those birds were. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And um it changes every year too which surprises me how much it changes and i'll it's it's interesting one of the changes doesn't have anything to do with weather around utah obviously it comes with cover but like a lot of the spots we go and hunt it's on this big bird refuge it's the bear river bird refuge up here and the the bird refuge has a lot of I don't know if it's contracts or agreements or whatever, but a lot of cattle graze on the the bird refuge because we deal with a lot of fragmite. And so you'll, you'll see cows whenever you go hunting these places. And we, me and my wife, we have quite a few spots that we just, that's our spot. We love, we know every time we're going to go there, we're going to at least see one. And then the next year, it's just not the same because instead of worrying about weather or how cold it was or how the water was, it's just cows. They ate all the cover. And so you just don't go to sure. that spot for a year. So, it, so it's, it's, crazy. it's habitat. It, it's habitat at the back, at the end of the day, it's habitat because yeah. the cows oh. graze the habitat. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so instead of being on your side of the canal, they're just on the other side that the cows don't eat on, but that's also happens to be the fun side that they don't let you go hunt on. So got it. Yep. <laughs> Got it. So then you have a couple, then you have a few years until the habitat grows back and those birds start to move back into the other area. Yep. Yep. So then you just, you know, the bird refuge is so big that you you can hunt every inch of that bird refuge, huntable land that isn't covered in water. It's just so big. So every year it's always a fun game to figure out where the cows are and also where the birds are because every year it seems to migrate north and south because the cows they have it on the north part of the bird refuge and so you just don't hunt that part because you know there's no cover you go hunt the south and then it it changes every year where the cows are too so 
it's kind of fun that that's one thing that we have to figure out as well as where these ranchers are putting their cattle for the year. So do you ever hunt around, do you ever hunt in the same area as the cattle or do you pretty well, much, once you figure out where the cattle are, you're out of there? No, it's, we hunt with the cattle all the time. And, and specifically just because we've had so much experience finding birds right where the cows are. It's, it's the, I guess it's not where the cows are during the season. It's where they put the cows before the season started, because okay. usually, usually they, they move their cows as it goes throughout the year. And so if they start on the North part and work more South, you just don't work the North North part because you know, there isn't going to be any cover and you work more towards where the cows are and where the cover is. So. Got it. It's almost like the cows are creating a transition line. Oh, absolutely. No. And it's crazy. And especially it's fun to watch it sometimes too, because they'll run that uh, cow wire, the electric wire down it. And you can see the huge difference between where they just were and where they transitioned them over that electric fence line, because it's like bare compared to, you know, head high grass. So. Interesting. That's crazy. I've never seen, I mean, I know when I was out, like I mentioned, I was in California for a little bit and I did some, some mountain biking and some hiking around Mount Diablo and in that area, they have just cattle grazing too. And on public land. And that was a completely new experience for me. Cause that just doesn't happen in Wisconsin at all. Like, yeah, like all the cattle here is on their own farms. I mean, it's all, everything's, I mean, it's the rent, it's the, it's the farmer's responsibility to keep his cows on his land. I mean, and unlike other parts like Oregon, I know it's the home, I know it's the landowner's responsibility to keep cows off their land or cattle off their yeah. land. Whereas here, it's our responsibilities to keep them on our land. So, I mean, yeah. you just don't have that open grazing here that you do in other parts. So, I mean, that's so unique. And so like, it's so completely different to what I have experienced here. Like, and I'm not, it's not bad. It's like just completely different experience. Yeah. No, it, it definitely is. And I think, I think a lot of it has to do with as well because obviously i don't think like the cattle ranchers are just going hey we just want to eliminate all the hunting on this piece of property so we're going to keep our cows on here till there's no grass left it, it really comes down to i think what most states have conversations with farmers or ranchers you know a lot of states they have programs where the the farmers only cut off the top path so they leave habitat for those pheasants to to repopulate and prosper in and eat and grow the population whereas i just don't think that conversation is had here where they just they just say okay you can you can graze these parts of the bird refuge and and just make sure you're working down the line and and if it gets mowed all the way down it's it's that's just how it is so i mean it, it's a different way to attack invasive species and different plants and like continuously regrow regrow habitat as well though because i mean here we'll do controlled burns like we'll burn yeah. prairies. Whereas mm. by you, you don't have to do a controlled burn because you can let the cows go and you're kind of killing two birds with one stone because now the ranchers and that they're able to feed their cat feed their cattle on some public land. And you don't have to do a controlled burn either to get the same results of bringing up natural habitat again. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's I think it's great. And I'm I can that's probably exactly why they do it. The bird refuge doesn't want, you know. They want it to be able to access and for us to hunt it. And so maybe if they didn't even have cattle, 
maybe we wouldn't even be able to hunt those areas because they're full of frag. I mean, frag right. is terrible on the bird refuge and, and they do a lot of projects and cows are definitely one of them. They have swamp eaters, they do controlled burns and heck, if you can feed some cattle while you, while you're controlling some of Asia, some overgrowing uh, conditions and stuff like that, then definitely I don't see why not. I think for me personally talking about it though, is just like, you know, and maybe this is me just going, okay, well, my best spot is now crap this year because right. I've been on it. Maybe that's just me, but I think it, maybe it's just a conversation and maybe figuring out that spots that you just don't let cows overgraze on, obviously don't take them out of the equation, but maybe leave right. these parts so it's accessible, you know, make them have them go eat on the other side of the river where there is a bunch of cover that you can't hunt versus the spot where sure. you can only hunt. So it's just, I'm sure, it's a fun game that you play. I'm, I'm sure there's some huge conservation plan that is out there that explains some of it, right? And I don't have a clue because I've never even I've been to Utah once. So I have no idea what their conservation plan is out there, but it's completely different for me to like think like, I could be going to hunt some pheasant land and like normally I'll run into be like, Oh man, they did a controlled burn here. This is done for the year. Like they, yeah. they in the middle of summer, they burnt it. Be like, Oh, I'm not going to any of these fields, but you completely different to roll up and be like, Oh man, the cows in there this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's definitely a fun and new experience and something that we deal with. So that's that. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's unique. It's cool in its own way. Right. I mean, it's just something, I mean, it makes it more of a challenge for you because you're like, you can't necessarily go back to the same spot year after year, but then you're constantly learning new areas, new habitat. And not only that, you're, it's more experience on how those birds are reacting to changing conditions in their habitat. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And it's, it is fun. It is fun. And Honestly, probably the most success me and my wife have ever had are hunting right next to the cattle. I don't know what it is about cows that draw pheasants to them, but I mean, we, me and my wife had experience this year where we were kind of avoiding the cows a little bit more and, and Willow, our griffon, she, she, she wouldn't leave the cows alone. And so we just finally just let her go right in between those cows and obviously the cows disperse. And next thing we know, she's on a point and we find two roosters in that spot just because they're in the middle of all the cows. So I think they definitely, because there's always a cattle presence, I feel like the pheasants around here, especially where we go hunt, have been accustomed to cows so much that it's almost like a protection, it seems like. So we always push cows just because sure. there's always a chance you could find something there. That makes sense. I mean, they've they might find security in knowing those cows are around. I mean, the cows can see predators coming from a, a way farther away than what they can. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, maybe they find secure. I have no idea. Like that's not anything I ever experienced out here. Like I said, but I could see maybe there's some sort of security in that. And that's why the pheasants are drawn to being around the cows. Yeah, definitely. And it's it, like you said, unique and it's definitely different and something that you just learn from, over time doing it like if i was a when i was young i never thought to go hey let's go push these cows off this spot because there might be a pheasant there i'd probably as a youth hunting i would just say ah, oh, i really don't want to get trampled by a cow i think i'm going to stay away from them this time. you know that'd be my that'd 
be my thoughts be like yeah can we go hunt these yeah we could hunt that field with the cows but i don't want to get trampled i don't want my dog to get injured yeah no i'm out but we'll go yeah. somewhere we'll, I, I already know what i would do i'd go to the mountain and go hunt chucker and grouse <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> be like ah my pheasant spots burnt out from some cows yeah we're going we're going up in the mountains yeah we're gonna go do something different because <laughs> don't want to get beaten up today <laughs> pretty much yep and i'm yep. not saying i'm not willing to put the work in because climbing the mountain's not easy, right? <laughs> but no. yeah, it, 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 there's a little less danger there in my mind. Because I'm, but yeah. I've never hunted around cattle before, whereas you have. So it's those different experiences on on what you're what you're comfortable doing. Yeah, definitely. And and I know that we totally. I was just totally talking about how taking cows off would make those places so much better too. But but even just cows themselves benefit it, like we talked about. But even just it's fun to watch the different trails that they make and make it so we can reach other spots as well. So the cows also just benefit us not only because the pheasants seem to be hanging out with them, but they, they create a path to spots that me and my wife probably wouldn't get to normally because there's so high frag that you just can't walk through it. So it's definitely sure. unique and we definitely cater to it. And I think, I think you do have the option. We live right next to a mountain that, you know, I'm tired of the cows and I'm tired of, the crappy conditions today let's go let's go run up a mountain real quick oh that's awesome i mean the variety makes it fun right because you can you can change up your day i mean if you want to go hunt chucker if you want to or if you want to go hunt the long tails and i completely understand like growing a passion towards hunting one bird because i could go hunt some pen raids birds around here if i wanted to i could go chase wild birds because there is little tiny segments of wild birds i have found them before but I'm going to go invest that kind of time. I'm like, eh, I'm going to drive north and chase grouse because that's the bird like I really love to chase. So I completely understand why like your first thought is let's go find these, let's go find these roosters. Yep. Yep. Definitely. And I think for me, it stems a lot of from, from growing up like me personally, um, pheasant was my, my, my therapy. And it kind of goes into the name of what me and my wife have grown for our YouTube channel and our Instagram pages. It's the name came from feather therapy. It's, it came from me as a, as a teenager going through some stuff and instead of going and, and running around doing crazy stuff, I would go walk a field with my dad's dog and, and, that would be my time that I would sit there and I would think and I'd reminisce on, on things going on in my life. And it always seemed to, to benefit me. And so even just the fun factor of going and chasing pheasants and trying to find and, and working hard and trying to find the big old tails with the, the most wild rooster you can find for, for me personally. And I know my wife feels this way as well is, um, is it, it's a good time to think and, and kind of get away from real life as well. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of my growing into loving pheasants and obviously ducks too, but for whatever reason, dogs, long tails and me seem to go really well together. And, and now that I'm married and have an amazing wife, she also loves it as well. And, and it's a passion of hers too. So it's kind of a, a blessing all the way around. And, and I've said this before, but it, it really plays into exactly what you said. I mean, like, I find like when I go deer hunting, it's a time to reflect on my on myself. And it's like a big, like, reflection period. And duck hunting for me is a super social thing. I like doing it with friends, joking around, cooking breakfast, drinking coffee. But when it comes to, like, bird hunting behind a dog, like, 
it's a hundred percent about the moment for me. Like work doesn't matter. Home life doesn't matter. I mean, I'm a hundred percent focused on the moment we're in watching the dog in the woods or in the field. I mean, it, it, there's just, it's a different, it's different. So, I mean, when you say feathered therapy, that that's your YouTube page. That's what you, I mean, it totally makes sense. And I completely understand like why, when you're saying like you duck hunt, but like you find like it just a different level of therapy. Like when you're out running them roosters. It is, it is. And it, it's almost like a balance for me and my wife. Cause like, even just like going to the gym sometimes just sucks, but we'll go walk four or five miles chasing, chasing pheasants. And so, you know, we really believe strongly about, you know, being, being strong mentally, physically, and emotionally and stuff like that. And it, it, it's crazy how much hunting and what goes into hunting, especially chasing pheasants can, can evolve around all those things. One, if you're not fit, you ain't walking the five miles you need to, to go find a long tail. Um, if you're not mentally prepared, you're going to get frustrated every second you walk because you're not going to find a bird every second. And, uh, emotionally, um, it seems to be a good healer. Um, especially for me personally and for my wife as well. She feels that way as well, that, that it, you, you seem to be able to let things go and you seem to be able to think a lot more clearly when you're walking miles with your dog and your, maybe your wife or your husband. And so it, it, it really is cool how, how something as simple as hunting or as complicated as hunting, whichever way you look at it can be something as cool as um, almost life-changing. So Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So we're coming here to the end. I'm going to give the next few minutes to you. Um, tell everyone about your YouTube channel. Tell everybody about your Instagram. Tell the people what you got going on, how, how you're how you're putting out some media out there, some really good media, like showing people what, what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that, Brad. So um, Feather Therapy, um, that's our, that's our uh, YouTube channel. Um, and it's feathertherapy.business for Instagram. Someone else had feather therapy straight off, so I had to put a dot business behind it. But we'll take it. Um, it really is just me and my wife um, and our two dogs. We have a wire hair and a, and a German short hair. And we just love hunting. We love going out and doing it. Um, it's, it's something that we look forward to every year, and it's something that we – we specifically plan for throughout our year to make sure that we can go and do it. Um, and so our Instagram and our YouTube is, is focused around that. Um, like me and Brad were talking about here a little bit ago, it's, it, it's me and my wife's therapy. And that's how, that's how we came up with the name because it, it's something that helps us physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I feel like with a lot of people, it's the same way. Um, so if you want, give us a follow, check us out. We really just post our experiences. Um, it's just something that we're passionate about and we just want to share our side. So if you're looking for someone else to follow that does the same stuff with you, if you're looking for a good watch every once in a while, um, we're, we're working on a video right now where we, we went to a pheasant farm and, and somehow my phone ended up in the lake and it's, 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 it's quite funny. So it'll be coming out soon. We're working on it, but it's just fun. Things like that. We're nothing, nothing crazy, but we're just sharing our story and sharing our passion. Like Brad does. It's, it's, it really is something cool that we enjoy doing. So give us a follow if you'd like, if you don't, 
that's okay. We'll still keep doing it because it's something we love. <laughs> we would love anybody that would love to join and, and be a part of it. So thank you, Brad. Yeah, absolutely, man. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been great talking to you. It's always easy talking to another Griff owner, which I thought you were, but I, I kind of was in the back of my head, but then he confirmed me. I'm like, oh, I, right then I, I know this show is going to be great. So it was great having you on. All my listeners, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for, for tuning in. If you guys wouldn't tune in, I I would probably still do this, but it wouldn't be nearly as fun. No one, no one ever, no one, nobody listens. So I really do appreciate you. And until next time, keep chasing that experience. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle in Finn. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Finn. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Finn on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in Northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com.